You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. Welcome to all of you who are here and are listening online or fellowshipping with us today. Now, it's always a privilege to bring the word of the Lord to you today. And we hope you've been richly blessed by the Grace of God series that changes everything and that is the sermon series that we are working on through the book of Ephesians. Now the letter to the Ephesians is a very short book within the Bible. And if you have not already read it, we highly encourage you to take some time to read it and reflect upon it. There is so much, so much we can learn as followers of Christ from these few chapters written by the Apostle Paul. But before we begin, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord to open our hearts and our ears to hear what he has in store for us today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for all that you are. Thank you for the gift of scripture. We pray, dear Lord, as we read from your words today, that you inspire us, teach us what you have in store. May the meditation of our hearts and the words that we speak today be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now before we begin, I'd like all of us to just close our eyes for a moment. Close our eyes for a moment and cast your mind back to the time that you chose to receive God's grace. Take a moment to remember the situation, the environment that you were in. For some of us, it would have been a long time ago and our memories are fading. Or perhaps you remember a day as if it were t- tomorrow, today. Just take a time to just reflect on it. It's a feeling that we can never forget, isn't it? Well, those of you who know me, you probably heard my testimony too at the events in my life. But for those who have not heard it, it happened in my studio apartment in Flinders Street in 2002, a number of months after I came to Melbourne. It was one of my darkest days of my life. I was ready to give up, throw in the towel, and give up my faith because my eyes were blinded with rage and I could not see God, what God was doing in my life. I was going through all sorts of emotions of anger, loneliness, frustration, and even hurt and betrayal. It was that day that God called me back into himself. It was then that even that changed everything. It was that event that changed everything for me as a believer. And I thank God that he has transformed me to the person I am today. As a believer, I believe we've all had one such event that changed everything. Some perhaps dramatic and some perhaps not so dramatic. But it is when you first understood and received the grace of God, that's an event that you never forget. When I finally realized that without God's intervention in my life, everything was going in a spiral more and more out of control. Thankfully, I've been told about God's power and the forgiveness of Jesus and how he's won all this for me through the death on the cross. I cried out for his help, and by his grace, he rescued me and began changing my life 
And as they say, the rest is history. Grace changes everything, including us. And that's why today's message is titled Transformed by Grace. Today we're going to see how receiving God's grace transforms three big areas of our lives. But before we talk about transformed living, we need to talk about a transformed thinking. Our actions start with our thoughts. The brain is connected to the body. Our thinking influences the results in our actions. The Bible makes the connection over and over again. And Paul makes it here in Ephesians 4, from godless thinking to Christ-centered thinking. Let's look at transformed thinking in verses 17 to 24. There are really two ways of thinking, isn't there? Godless thinking and Christ-centered or Christ-like thinking. Let's look at the first, godless thinking. In verses 17 and 19, we read, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of the heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, godless thinking is categorized by futility and a lack of purpose. Now, Paul says in verse 17, it's headed nowhere. Now, Ricky Gervais, an actor-comedian who professes to be an atheist, said the following, We're on a rock, traveling around one of 100 billion stars. Our species is one of over half a billion that have ever existed. Our chances of being born are about one in 400 trillion. You're not special, but you are effing lucky, is what he says. Enjoy your amazing life, you never exist again. He goes on to say, a Christian telling an atheist they're going to hell is as scary as a child telling an adult they're not getting any presents from Santa. A godless way of thinking is truly a futile one. There's no accountability to a higher authority. We do us. Whatever we want, whatever makes us feel good, there are no consequences. That's what they think. But, but, what if there was? What if God was, sorry, if God was not real and hell is not real, then as Christians, when we die, nothing happens. We just existed, as Gervais said. And we would have lived a good life too. But if God was real, and hell was a thing, or is a thing, and eternity in hell awaits us if we don't have Christ. You see, friends, the truth is he, did not, he does not see it. The odds are so against us, yet we still exist. Whilst he thinks that that does not make us special, of all the species that exist on this rock, he claims, only the humans 
have an intelligence to create things with new information, just like our God. Friends, we are special. We are unique. We are not simply lucky to exist, as he puts it. We are special. And the reason we are special is because we are made in God's image. We are made in God's image. God created us for a purpose. Each and every one of you are created for a purpose. Without God, then we will be, as Gervais said, we just exist. If that were the case, my friends, then what is the point of life? What is the point of living? What is the point of existing? Sadly, this is an area of atheism. If there is no God and this life is all there is, then why am I here? What's the point of life? It seems futile to just live and die and that's it. That is why the scripture says that godless way of thinking is futile. Ayan Hirsi Ali is a prominent Muslim turned atheist for over 19 years and she has just become a Christian. She says, I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace and unendurable, indeed very nearly self-destructive. Atheism failed to answer a simple question. What is the meaning and purpose of life? Verse 18 traces our deadly progress into the kind of futile thinking it starts with the hardness of our hearts towards God and will. And ignorance then follows. Then not knowing God's or all his ways, alienated, separated from the life of God, darkened understanding. We have almost a morbid way of thinking. The verses we've just read shows us that you can't remain static in this business. If you don't open your heart to God, it has dire circumstances. We see the same sequence in Romans 1. Suppress the truth about God. You have a darkened thinking, evil behavior, and eventually God's wrath. But godly thinking or Christian thinking is totally different, isn't it? The scripture tells us in verse 20 to 24, But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed, renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Our God's way of thinking, sorry, is relationship-based and has its trajectory. The verse starts with learn Christ or come to know Christ. It's like we're in school. 
There's one person who's a teacher. The curriculum and the context of this learning. Jesus is the one who rescued us. He is our example. He patiently teaches us, works in us, and through us. He renews us in the spirit of our minds. He teaches us to put off the old self and put on the new self. We didn't come to know Christ by ignoring him and hiding in our hearts against him. The Holy Spirit worked in us to make us hear him. We are taught about him. The truth as it is in Jesus, he's the truth. Now how we thank God for those who taught us about Christ. Our parents, our family members, our Sunday school teachers, Christian friends, youth group leaders, life group leaders. We are taught to live our old way of life. Repentance, put off the old self and put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the plan. And in Christ, it's possible. That's God's plan and purpose for those he has saved in Christ. So our renewed thinking has Christ at the center. It's no longer about me, myself and I, but about him who is the center of everything. Transformed thinking that results in a transformed living and walking. Note that the Christian life is described as a walk, not a race. In verse 17, it says, even, sorry, in verse 5, it says, even when we have, were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In chapter 2, we saw that by the sheer generosity and grace of God, Christians are people who have been rescued, rescued from the deadness and darkness of our sins. We have been forgiven and are now seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We are sitting. The outflow of having that wonderful, undeserved position is that we are now on a walk a walk with Jesus, being transformed by the same grace that saves us. Now Paul focuses our attentions to three key areas to be transformed by grace. Three ways in which we need to put off our old selves and put on our new selves. We can call it the grace exchange, if you like. And it starts firstly with our conversations. From trash to truth. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his righteous with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. From trash to truth, from tearing down to building up. James says that the tongue is like a fire, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You know, it corrupts our whole body. So it's, not, it's no surprise that the first thing on Paul's list of examples of walking like Christ is how grace makes a difference in the way we speak and the way we talk to one another. Put off falsehood. 
the lie in our speech, but also all aspects of our lives. Don't live a life of lies as well as not speaking lies. Life is already complicated when you lie. You have to tell more lies to cover up your old tracks. And you have to go all the trouble remembering the lies and who you told them to so you don't get caught out. It's much simpler to tell the truth, isn't it? Speak truthfully with your neighbour. Truth in efficiency is so far Inefficient so far is the truth of the gospel as we learned. So this isn't just about being truthful. It's about speaking the gospel to each other. The two go hand in hand. Jesus is the truth. The gospel is the word of truth. And we are to, we are to be believed when we tell the good news. They need to know that we are people whom they can trust and we take truth-telling seriously. But that's not the only criteria for our speech. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that you may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Our speech is to be other-centered, to build up, not to tear apart. That is the trust of verse 29. Now, as part of my dive master training, we were taught to correct mistakes in a positive manner, to be constructive, not critical, to think about what will help the student learn how to scuba dive safely and enjoyably. Now, imagine you had a dive master instead that's yelling at you all the time for the mistake that you make. Not so fun, is it? Will you continue learning? Probably not. You might even feel that you're not good enough for this sport and leave or give up. You see, even the circular world sees the benefits of Jesus' teaching to build up, not to tear down. The simple question we need to ask ourselves is, is our speech wholesome? Does it build up others? Does it give grace? If we are asked these questions before speaking, we probably wouldn't say half the things that we do. Think of the impact of what we say on others. Don't just say because we need to get it off our chest or because it's some juicy piece of gossip or we think it's funny or because it's going to make us look good. Now let's be honest. A lot of our talk is aimed at getting people to think well of us or like us, isn't it? Let's consider instead how we can build one another up instead. Work with the Spirit rather than grieve the Spirit. Be transformed in our speaking from trash talk to truth. Now the second is this, our possessions. From grabbing to giving in verse 28. Verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now friends, we all know that a thief only thinks of himself or herself. 
All they are concerned about is what I can get from it. They do not care how it will hurt or harm others or put someone else in a bad situation. I'm sure at some point in your life that you had something or someone's taken from you or stolen from you and it hurts, doesn't it? So let's make sure we are not doing it to others. From grabbing for ourselves to giving to others. Put off stealing. Getting something for nothing. It's very attractive, isn't it? And often tempting. You know, the whole gambling industry is based on this. Taking money from the poor and giving it to the rich. Have a look at this graph that compares the disadvantage, the safer index with gambling losses. This graph shows that it's the poor people we lose who loses the most because they want to try to change their destiny. The higher the social disadvantage, the bigger the loss on gambling. It means if you make a big win on gambling, most of the money you get actually comes from people who can't afford it. That's the truth. Put on instead. Work. Earn. Why? Not so that you can become rich. No. So you can help those in need. When you have more than you require, think about those who are in need. Here is more than a hint about why God gives us jobs and money and possessions. It's for us to help others, not to enrich ourselves. Of course, Jesus, the one we follow, lived totally for others. So be transformed from a grabber to a giver. Think about how we can give to God's work to missions, to missionaries who serve in the mission fields, to charities who help the poor. Operation Christmas Child was certainly an example of one such endeavor, and praise God that Pascal Vale was part of that. But there are many, plenty more people who are in need of our help, especially as Christmas approaches. There are many families that may be struggling out there. Be givers not grabbers. Our conversation, our possessions, and now our emotions. From anger to kindness. Is it wrong to be angry when others hurt us? Is it wrong to want payback? Well, the scripture answers these questions in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. From vengeance of bitterness, we are called instead to kindness. We all get angry at times. That's human. It's also divine. It's not wrong to get angry. Even God gets angry. Proverbs says that he's angry with the wicked every day. The question is what we do with that anger. And the answer is, don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. There's a right and a wrong expression of anger. 
Losing your temper and getting aggressive with people around you isn't a godly way to deal with anger. Ask yourselves, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Sometimes it's wrong anger because your own desires have been met or, or, or haven't been met or been frustrated. That sort of anger can be dealt with between us and God. There's other anger that's a result of injustice against someone else. Or when the Lord's name is dragged to the mud, for example. Example, Jesus' anger when he saw the temple, a place of prayer for the nations, being used to scam the nations. It has to be dealt with. But God clearly says here not to let it linger. In other words, don't let it get worse by adding oil to the fire. Don't let the sun go down on it. Keep short accounts. Don't go, oh yeah, you know, five years ago you did this and this and this and that to me. No. The reason for our short account is if we don't, we give the devil an opportunity to corrupt our own hearts and to bring disunity amongst us. As a family, as a church, in your workplaces, in your relationships. We're often tempted to hang out, hang on to the anger because it feels good, isn't it? It helps us to justify ourselves and make us feel that we are in the right. But we know from James that anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Instead, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What are we called to put off here? It's a deadly cocktail of bitterness or resentment. Wrath, which is passionate rage and anger. Clamor yelling and screaming at others, manipulation and intimidation, the area that we are get angry enough we was that they will back off, slander, the most sophisticated form of the same thing, only is underground and behind a person's back. The dagger the dagger be hidden behind a smile. Put these things off. Put these things off. They are ungodly responses. And yet, it is so hard for each and every one of us to do. In its place, that needs to be replaced by kindness. The one of the toughest gigs in the Christian life. How can we respond with kindness to people who want us to do, who want to do us harm? How do we treat with kindness those who have done us wrong? Our whole sense of justice and outreach screams, No! The world around us says the same. Don't get angry, get evened. But as Gandhi observed, if we all gave an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we end up in a world of toothless and blind people. See, Paul knows how hard or impossible this is. So he points it to the only way we can do it. Remember what Jesus has done for you and for me. 
God in Christ forgave you. As he hung dying on that cross, he cries out, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Recently, I heard about the news that a young man who is in prison for 21 years for killing four kids that he ran over in a speeding drunken stupor has turned to Christ. The parents of those kids, Layla and Danny Abdullah, soon after the accident on 1st of February three years ago, said that they forgive the driver. They forgave the driver even though he killed their three kids, Anthony, Angelina and Sienna. Why has Sam Davidson turned to Christ? It was because he wanted what Danny and Layla have. He experienced their forgiveness and has now found Christ's forgiveness as well. That's what Paul says. Instead of anger and bitterness, put on kindness. God did not just command on these things and say, go, you figure it out yourself. Instead, he gives us a model for us to follow. Our model in chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, is one is none other than Jesus himself. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. You notice that the direction of the three transformation that Paul talks about here are from self-centeredness to being others-centered. Jesus is our great saviour. The one who lives totally for others in our, is our great model, our role model. If you were to imitate him in these three ways, what would it look like? He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth in 1 Peter verse 2 to 4. Jesus spoke the truth. He is the truth. Whether he was teaching and serving his disciples or speaking with a woman caught in adultery or comforting the bereaved, Jesus spoke and lived the truth of the gospel. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a giver not a grabber. His whole life was about giving. He came not to be served, but to serve. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He gave everything so that we could be forgiven and that we can share with his everything. What about his emotions? How did he react under pressure? When he was reviled, he did not, re he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. His closest friend, who saw him up close and in the darkest moments, wrote this. What a model, what an example he left us. Friends, let's get our thinking straight. Never stop learning in the school of Christ. Walk straight with every opportunity. And God, by his power of his spirit, will keep us transforming by his grace. May God bless you and let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you 
Thank you that you've been a role model for us all to follow. It is hard for us because we are sinful people. We want revenge. We want payback for the things that when we are hurt. We tend to look after our own self-interest before we look out for others. Help us to be transformed in our thinking. Help us be transformed by your grace so that we can live and we can walk and we can talk just like you. Lord, there's certainly many aspects of our lives that we are lacking or we are not meeting up to your standard. We thank you for your forgiveness. But we pray also, Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit to shape us and mold us to become more and more like your character so that we can love others as you have. Teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in your righteousness. We thank you, God, for all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.